0: There's a greater degree of confidence that we will be able to withstand future setbacks coming from coronavirus, which I think also explains why share markets today are so much higher than they were two years ago and why business confidence levels and consumer confidence levels are well above their lows.
1: Welcome back to the Simplifying Investing Podcast. I am your host, Adam Masters. I hope you had a lovely holiday period, and I'm glad to be back here in 2022 for our first conversation. Now, while the years may pass, there's one thing that feels relatively consistent, and that's the coronavirus. Now, you know, it's been a little over two years since COVID-19 first reared its head to disrupt our lives, our markets, and really just about everything else in between, and you need only look at the pressure facing frontline healthcare workers to know that these are, to use a news cliche, unprecedented times. We've got an ever moving feast of information around vaccination rates, rapid testing, access to testing kits and border restrictions. It all makes it hard to really block out the noise and get a serious read on where things stand as of right now here in February 2022. Now, thankfully, we've called on a friend of the podcast to help break things down and analyse what the next year might have in store for us. So, joining me today, I'm pleased to say, is AMP Capital's Chief Economist, Dr. Shane Oliver. Shane, it's great to have you on the line. Thanks, Adam. Great to be here. Now, we've got plenty to get into, but before we dive in, here's a quick reminder
0: This podcast is general in nature and hasn't taken your circumstances into account. It's important you consider your personal circumstances and speak to a financial advisor before deciding what's right for you. Any general tax information provided is intended as a guide only.
1: Well, Shane, it's been an interesting few months since we last spoke here on Simplifying Investing. Last year, the Australian economy faced some hefty disruption. I mean, we had multiple waves of COVID outbreaks. Inflation took off. And some central banks removed monetary stimulus earlier than expected. And even in recent weeks, markets have shown some serious volatility. So I guess before we dive into all things COVID, Shane, what's your take on the current state of play?
0: Well, I must admit it's messy and this coronavirus thing is going on for much longer than I guess many of us had hoped two years ago. Uh, and, of course, we have seen the latest uh, wave of cases globally and in Australia with the Omicron variant. And, of course, there's uh, now a, a sub-variant of Omicron called BA.2. Apparently, the first version of Omicron is called BA.1. The next one's called BA.2. Um, and it's also creating a bit of uncertainty. But I guess, you know, at the end of the day, there is a bit of uh, light at the end of the tunnel, Um, It seems each new wave of coronavirus seems to be having less and less of an economic impact globally and in Australia. Uh, Yes, we have seen an explosion in cases with Omicron and Omicron, or the sub-variant of Omicron may extend that um, because they are known to be more transmissible than the Delta variant was. But by the same token, the level of hospitalisations, deaths, people in ICU relative to the number of cases, is well below where it was with the previous waves. And that's not just in Australia, but globally. Uh, South Africa, where the Omicron variant was, has seen um, uh, a similar pattern where the number of hospitalisations is far less. And in fact, uh, the number of cases there has turned down. But um, it seems as if the latest variant is having a far less severe impact. That may also be because even though the vaccines are not providing as good a protection against you getting Omicron um, or the Omicron variant and passing it on, they do seem to provide very good protection in terms of preventing you from having to go to hospital um, or in ICU or dying. Um, And when you look at adults, um, unvaccinated adults are far more likely to get seriously ill than vaccinated adults. Um, through this latest wave. So yes, it's been painful. Yes, it's been a a very difficult time for the healthcare sector having to manage this because even though uh, the proportion of cases who actually have to go to hospital is less we've seen a surge in the number of cases and that still means more people going to hospital we are where we are and it does seem as if science and modern medicine is gradually getting things under some sort of control although it's taking a lot longer than we thought and you could argue that the combination of vaccinations better treatments for coronavirus is a couple on the way from Merck and Pfizer and also um the possibility that coronavirus now seems to be evolving in a way which is less harmful, they all may take us down a path where we eventually get coronavirus under control and learn to live with it. That's not to say there's not risks out there. We've still got a big chunk of poor countries which are very lowly vaccinated, where the vaccination rates are just 20-30%, still very low, um, and that obviously brings with it the risk of more mutations. Um, but so far, it does seem as if we're we're gradually starting to see more light at the end of the tunnel, Um, although this is dragging on for a lot longer than we would have hoped.
1: Now, if you're following the news from our federal leaders, the government has been hammering home the message of encouraging people right across the country to go about their lives as normal as possible. Here's the Federal Treasurer, Josh Frydenberg, on Nine's The Today Show recently.
0: Uh, with COVID. um, It can knock you around a bit, but from my perspective, it's a lot better than being subject to extended lockdowns. Um, We've got to learn to live with the virus.
1: So this idea of just getting on with business really at the forefront of the federal government's messaging here. Shane, if we take a look at the vaccination rate, I think on my last check, Australia was hovering around the 80% mark of the population being fully vaccinated. So of course, our medical experts advise that irrespective of whether you're fully vaccinated and you've had your booster shot and, of course, your health status and underlying health conditions will also be a factor here, there's still the possibility of serious illness. If we take a look at the year ahead, Shane, do you think we can afford to be optimistic about what our fortunes will be in 2022? What, what are you taking away from the vaccine efficacy and the vaccination rate that we're seeing?
0: Look, I think there is reason for optimism. Uh, Look, the the vaccines are not protecting you as much against getting coronavirus and passing it on, as was the case with the Delta variant. But they are providing good protection in terms of preventing you from getting sick. Um, When New South Wales, for example, was providing the data for mostly adults, now they sort of combined it with children and they they get less sick anyway. But if you strip out... um, those under under eleven, it was typically the case that if you were uh, unvaccinated, you were nine times more likely to end up in hospital, something like fifteen times more likely to end up in ICU, and twenty times more likely to end up in in uh, end up passing away from coronavirus than an un, than a fully vaccinated person. Um, so the vaccines are providing protection against getting serious illness. Yes, as the treasurer says, it does knock you about. And I know people have got it, including um, members of my family. Uh, So you you do really want to avoid it. Um, But by the same token, the vaccines are providing some protection there. Um, We've sort of got to this point now where we've got a big chunk of the population vaccinated. In fact, if you include children, we're now pushing up towards 84% of the population having at least one dose, uh, 78% having two doses, and 32% having a booster shot, which are pretty high numbers and the great scheme of things. We've still got further to go with the boosters, of course. Mm. Um, but they do provide a bit of confidence that, that the broad trend through this year will be one of continued reopening. Albeit, will bet we could still have setbacks along the way from coronavirus. But that, I think, Overall, suggest that the economic recovery that we've been seeing, we saw good growth through last year. Looks like growth in the economy was around 5% through the course of last year. Obviously, a horrible setback in the September quarter in New South Wales, Victoria, and the ACT with the Delta lockdowns, uh, but good rebound in the December quarter. We're going to have a bit of a setback in the current quarter. Um, but I think the economy probably keeps growing, and then growth will pick up again in the in the following quarters, um, helped I think by gradually getting coronavirus under control. Fingers crossed on that front, of course. But um, and also you've got a lot of pent up. Uh, spending power amongst Australian households. You know, people couldn't spend through the lockdowns and that money's been pent up in savings accounts. Roughly speaking, there's about $250 billion in excess savings built up.
1: Wow, OK. Yeah, fair bit in the kitty there. And
0: we've still got low interest rates. Um, they may start to rise this year, probably will in fact. We think uh, rate hikes are on track for around August this year, um, but you're still going to have an environment of pretty low interest rates. So all of those things taken together, I think, go well for the Australian economy this year.
1: Now, clearly, and you've said this, Shane, when we look at Omicron compared to past variants, obviously the transmission rate is higher and any health authority across the country will be able to verify that. But I suppose the good news, as we probably know by now, is that while there is obviously still a human impact, Omicron is generally leaving a less pronounced mark in terms of those hospitalisation and death figures. Now, if we think about that, do you think it's fair to say that the market and its caution is is different this time around compared to, say, when Delta hit its stride?
0: Look, I think they are. Uh, if you go to or two years ago, in fact, uh, when we were coming into the pandemic, there was a lot of uncertainty. We didn't know whether lockdowns would work. We didn't know to what degree we'd get government assistance. We didn't know how long it would take to get vaccines. Whereas now we've seen, well, firstly, that lockdowns work, although governments are less likely to go into lockdowns now. We know that uh, vaccines are out there, that uh, they can be developed quickly and also tweaked fairly quickly. Um, A lot of the vaccine producers are in the process of tweaking their vaccines um, to make them, uh, I guess, uh, more targeted towards the Omicron variant, and there's also um, talk of uh, more generalised vaccines which would protect against um, virtually all variants. So these things all provide confidence. We've seen government reaction. We've seen businesses and households find ways to work around periods where they've been disrupted by coronavirus. We know that working from home works for many workers, although it may not be optimal, but it does does work for many. They they that transition has occurred, um, and so therefore I think there's a lot there's a greater degree of confidence that we'll be able to withstand um, future setbacks coming from coronavirus, uh, which I think also explains you know, why share markets today are so much higher than they were um, two years ago prior to the pandemics, and why business confidence levels and consumer confidence levels are well above their lows, which occurred at the time of the initial. Um, lockdowns back in 2020.
1: Now, the Reserve Bank Governor, Philip Lowe, he fronted the National Press Club recently where he reflected on the state of affairs at the end of 2021, and he had some interesting remarks to make about inflation. Let's take a listen.
0: We had expected expected underlying inflation to be 1.5% last year, yet the actual outcome was 2.6%. Headline inflation was higher still at 3.5% boosted by a large increase in petrol prices and the cost of
1: constructing a new home. I think this experience reminds us of the difficulty of economic forecasting in a pandemic. I think we all know that, and I'm very conscious of that difficulty. So no doubt inflation raised a few eyebrows at the tail end of last year, but shifting back to the present, Petrol prices remain quite high. I'm still seeing pockets of produce missing from supermarket shelves. If you're after meat, good luck finding that in some places. Inflation is on the rise, and and by the RBA governor's own words, these things can be tricky to forecast. But in your view, Shane, where do you see it heading this year? Should Australians be nervous about the inflation trajectory? Look,
0: it, it is a concern, uh, and of course, if you're a bit like me and you're we're sort of around for the high inflation 70s and 80s, uh, I was a kid at the time in the 70s and then in my 20s in the 80s, it, um, y- it does make you nervous when you see inflation taking off because uh, on the one hand, you know, people say, oh, well, you know, what's wrong with a bit of price increases inflation has been too low for many years finally it's going up and of course that might mean higher wages but you can have too much of a good thing and too much inflation can cause serious economic distortions reduce productivity lead to shorter economic cycles Um, it's often hard for wages to keep up and then when wages do catch up you end up with a wage price spiral Uh, and of course it means higher interest rates which comes with issues as well. So all of those things, I guess, to some degree, have been worrying investment markets. And we saw that at the start of the year with corrections of the order of 9 to 10% in global and Australian shares uh, in January, although January turned out to be a little bit better at the end. um, It was still quite a a sharp fall as we went through parts of it. Um, So that's mainly on the back of these worries about inflation and interest rates going up. Um, On the one hand, I'd like to say, well, it is a serious issue but you've got to bear in mind that there's a bunch of distortions caused by the pandemic which have pushed up prices. And uh, that's what central banks like our own uh, Reserve Bank Governor Lowe have been pointing to. Um, on the one hand, you know we haven't been able to go and spend on services. We couldn't go on holidays like we used to. Mm. So that money was diverted to spending on the family home, buying a new car, buying a boat, buying some more furnishings, uh, family in the office or whatever it is at home. So a lot of money went into goods demand and the problem is that on the you had a surge in goods demand but you had a collapse in supply because workers weren't <laughs> making it to factories and uh like they used to or China was having periodic uh lockdowns to control coronavirus um, and consequently, you had at least supply chain disruption. So, not only was supply depressed, but demand was boosted. When all of that happens, prices go up, which, of course, is what we've seen across a whole range of items, not just um, energy prices, not just petrol prices. So, it's been fairly broad based now. Other countries have been hit by that worse than Australia, the US inflation rate Uh, has been running around 7% lately, which is the highest in 40 years. In Australia, it's about 3.5%. So we're about half what the US, but we've still gone up. And even if you strip out food and energy, we've still seen an increase in inflation. Uh, So that's obviously a concern to central banks, which is why some of them are talking about raising interest rates. Some are already doing that. The Reserve Bank in Australia is getting closer. But by the same token, as we eventually go back to something a bit more normal, then spending on services will go up, spending on goods will go down, presumably, and production will get back to normal. So supply will get back to normal and some of those price pressures will start to fade. So that's why I think you know, just because the US is seeing 7% doesn't mean it's going to stay there forever. I think that will start to settle down a bit as we go through the course of this year and take away some of these fears about surging inflation. Um, So ultimately, bottom line is, yes, interest rates will go up, but they're not going to go back to anywhere near where they were in the 70s and 80s.
1: And I think it was, I think just before the break, I heard the RBA was still insisting that it wasn't going to raise rates until 2024. Now it's facing, obviously, quite a delicate balancing act. So, no doubt all eyes will be on the RBA in 2022. Look forward to seeing how that all plays out. Um, Shane, let's head international for a moment because uh, it'd be remiss of me not to mention that we've got some big political activity ahead. In the United States, we'll see the midterm elections. And I guess history suggests that we might see below average returns in US shares.
0: I think we will see uh, less, substantially slower returns. I mean, last year, the US share market returned nearly 30%. Uh, Global shares weren't that strong, but they were still very strong, and we had double-digit gains out of Australian shares. Uh, Sometimes you get that. Uh, Coming out of tough periods, we obviously had a tough period in 2020. Uh, Shares became cheap. Everyone became negative Uh, and then we saw an economic recovery everyone went from being negative to more positive Um, and share markets went up that's uh, the way the market works and then once it's gone way up it then often goes through a slower period and i think that's what we've come into now that the easy gains are behind us share markets are no longer dirt cheap or or undervalued Uh, and consequently you have to allow that the rates of return you get out of share markets will slow down Um, and typically after a relatively calm year you may think that 2021 wasn't a calm year there was lots of things going on Uh, I won't run through a list of them but it did seem like a noisy year but the biggest drawdown. That's a like correction in US share market from top to bottom was just 5% in Australian shares. It was 6%. Uh, so that's all. You know, normally you see a lot more volatility than that. The, the trend may be up, but you see often 10% swings. Um, we didn't see that. But after very calm years, you often get more volatile years. This year is also the midterm election year in the US. It happens every four years where Congress, parts of Congress, uh, face electors again, and that causes volatility, and that's normally associated with more volatility in US shares. We've also got these issues about inflation, rising interest rates. That's going to cause a bit of a bit of volatility, and of course tensions with uh, Russia on the Ukraine border there, and uh, and also with China. So there's a lot of things that could cause more volatility this year. I think returns will be positive, but you're looking at. You know, high single digits in the 5 to 10% zone um, as opposed to the double digits that we've had in the last, few year, the last year and we're also going to see more volatility.
1: You make a good point on the uh, Russia-Ukraine uh, tensions there. No doubt the West is keeping a close eye on what the Kremlin is doing in the region so we'll see how that plays out and any possible impact it has on the markets. Uh, Shane, not to keep you for too much longer, I want to bring things back home now because a bit closer to home, the federal government is going to be delivering its next budget very soon, actually. But perhaps more importantly, Australia's general election is also this year. And we've seen the unofficial campaigning ramping up recently. And I guess while you traditionally see handshakes and babies being kissed out on the hustings, COVID advice probably will save us from those routine picture opportunities this time around. The word around Canberra circles is pointing towards a May election. How do you see that impacting markets?
0: Well, normally elections cause a bit of uncertainty and often the market can go through a bit of a pause in the immediate run-up to the election. Uh, And then once it's out of the way, you get a bit of a relief rally. Uh, So that could well be the pattern this time around. I should point out, though, that the differences between the two sides of politics are nowhere near as severe were significant as they were back in 2019. I reckon the differences in 2019, in terms of which way Australia would go in terms of economic policy, were as great as they they were. Um, hadn't been as significant uh, since the 1993 election between Paul Keating and John Hewson. Mm. Um, at the time, John Hewson had a um, a, a significant reform package. Uh, Introduction of GST, um, whereas uh, Paul Kidding was more moderate, I guess, at the time. Whereas last in the 2019 election, we saw proposals for significant tax changes on negative gearing, capital gains tax, franking credits, uh, top income, high income earners mm. um, from Labor. Whereas it was steady as we go under um, under the uh, the coalition. So there was a lot of nervousness going into that in the event the coalition won, and it was. Uh, Things continued as, as per usual. But this time around, I don't think we're going to see anywhere near those differences. The, the differences will be more at the margin. Um, and therefore, I don't see the same degree of nervousness coming into this election as there perhaps was going into the 2019 election. So bottom line is, yes, you could see the market sort of flatline a little bit ahead of the election as investors wait for it to get out of the way. Uh, but I don't think there's going to be as much riding on this election as there was three years ago.
1: Well, no shortage of things to think about as 2022 heats up and it will be a big year for investors, Shane, and no doubt you and I will be back discussing some of those big talking points as the year unfolds. So look forward to you joining us again here on Simplifying Investing. Listeners, if you haven't already subscribed to the podcast, please do so. We'd love to have you back throughout the season as we continue to examine some of investing's biggest topics. Now, before I leave you today, one final reminder that all topics that we've discussed are general in nature. And of course, our conversation hasn't taken into consideration your personal circumstances. So that's why we recommend that you seek out tailored financial advice that's relevant to your own needs before you make any important financial decisions.